This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Are we going to get back to where we were? Or do you think is it, is it going to take some time mentally for us to be able to get back to a place where we will reach out our hand or give a hug or a kiss? Like those are things that people crave as, as humans for connection. In some situations, it, it will. I think people are going to have this a little bit, they're going to feel torn. I think some people are going to stay camped out in fear and paranoia, and it's going to be paralyzing, I think, for some people. But I think a lot of people are going to come out of this and want to be more connected than ever. So I think it's going to, and then there's going to be some in between. just opened enrollment for my new book writing program where I promise to take you from page one to published in 90 days or less. I will be personally working with you to overcome the same fears and obstacles that kept me from pursuing my dreams all of those years. Simply click on the link below to see how I could help you become a first-time best-selling author. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Rachel Druckenmiller. You were named the number one health promotion professional in the US by the Wellness Council of America in 2015. You're also named 40 under 40 game changer by Workforce Magazine. You're a speaker, trainer, and the CEO of Unmuted. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yeah, so we're both um in quarantine as as millions and millions of other people are now when this airs hopefully we'll be out of quarantine by the time that comes out but let's talk in the present how has everything changed in your life or not changed and how are you helping your uh, immediate core your family your friends mm -hmm. and your clients in this time of need well, as, as somebody who's self-employed, I've uh, worked out of a home office for some time now, so that was familiar to me, uh, but I am an extrovert, and so the idea of being contained and confined to my home and not able to interact with strangers and start small talk conversations and get together for lunch and coffee with friends uh, has been, it's been hard. It's, it's been challenging. No doubt, and I actually saw a post this morning from a friend of mine, David Breyer, and he put out a wonderful video just about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are, we are social beings, you yes. know, and it's in times like this, when we can't, you know, meet someone for coffee, or we can't, you know, stroll downtown with, with, you know, hundreds or thousands of other people around us that we, we miss those times, right? Yeah, we, we do. And, you know, one of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to use um, social media for good because there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of like, you know, fear mongering and stuff out there. And so I intentionally like every day I put a video on LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm singing, um, whether it's Hakuna Matata or this little light of mine. <laughs> I, I try to do something to add hope and encouragement and some spark of joy and normalcy in people's day. 
that really helps them to feel seen and like they're not alone. I think, I think more than anything, when we're in times of crisis, people just need to know that someone else has their back, that someone's in it with them and that they're not alone. Like those are things that I think we need now more than ever. And so I'm trying to be a voice of that to friends, to clients, to myself, (laughs) to my husband, you know, to, to be that, that, that voice of hope and encouragement and connect with people you know, through video. I think we're all like living on Zoom and FaceTime and Google Hangouts uh, lately, but it's, it's a way to connect. And so it, it is really meaningful. I'm grateful we have technology to do that. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I love looking at your posts and, you know, I see the responses from people, you know, and it's, you could just tell when you, when you put that post out, it's, it's, it's the right time for someone. And um, I'd love for you to express your feelings on people that say are, aren't posting or are, have been afraid to post. Can you share with us what encouragement you've received? Because now you've been doing this for a while now, but even going back to the beginning um, on how that, you know, you're helping people on a daily basis and, and the power within that. Yeah. So I think sometimes we hold back because we have insecurities about, um, did I say it good enough? Did I say it the right way? Has somebody else already said this? You know, is this very insightful? Um, if, If they're on video, do I look okay? Do I sound okay? Like we just judge ourselves out of doing things. And so one of the things that I learned as a speaker that has really helped shift my mindset in terms of how I view um, anything that I create, whether it's a speech or a video or a post is to, to ask myself the question, like, how am I serving? Like that my intention is to serve people. If my intention is to serve people and not to impress people, then I'm always going to be okay. And so I think so often the intention for a lot of people is to think, I want, to, I want people to think I'm impressive. And if that's our goal, that's, that's, that's a faulty kind of motivation behind it. And people are going to see right through that. So, so for me, a lot of times when I do video, I do one, I do, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, but I'm at the point now where I just do one take and I'm like, whatever comes out, that was what was supposed to come out. And I didn't try to manufacture it. And so I, I was talking actually to somebody this week who's a fellow speaker who had never posted a video before. And she's like, I just, I don't know what to post. Like, what do, you, what do you say? How do you make it sound genuine? And I said to her, I was like, just say that. Like, just be honest about where you are. Say, I've never done a video before. I don't really know what I'm doing. I was nervous to even press publish or post, but I did it. Like, I said, do you realize that that alone could encourage somebody who's like afraid to post the first of whatever they want to post and share? So. If, if the motivation is to be sincere, to be honest about where you are, to, to be genuine about your mo- uh, you know, where you're coming from on this and to serve people, like you're going to be okay. So it's like thinking about before I post, what would serve someone right now? What would help somebody? What would encourage somebody? What would make somebody think right now? And so really using those things as a motivation, I think that's going to get us in a better spot on the other side. I love that. And what I, what I also love about that is, of course, that it's genuine and sincere but it's like one, it's, it's, it's the law of the universe. One of the laws of the universe that it's inflexible, right? You cannot fool even yourself, yeah. let alone, you know, the, the, the universe, you may do it once or twice, but you cannot sustain that over time. And, and that's actually something I've learned as well. We used to have a, a private Facebook group called live tribe. Hmm. And um, there were about a hundred people from around the world and their mission was to record a one minute live video every day within the private Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And it was a 21 day challenge. 
So it was really interesting to see over that three week period, how people came into their own. Like they mm -hmm. first started out, like you were saying, you know, what, you know, what am I look like or all that, you know, but by the time they got to day, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, their true self came out. And it actually helped me too, even though I was doing podcasting at the time, it helped me become more transparent and authentic. So I'm really glad you shared that uh, because it is, as I say, inflexible. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that the consistency piece of it, because I think that's one of the most important aspects of all this. Just keep showing up. People are like, no one looked at my post. Nobody looked at most people's first post or 15th post or hundredth post necessarily, but that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it to serve. And so I had a coach, Simon Bailey, who's another speaker who I've worked with. And he challenged me back in January. He said, how often are you posting videos? I said, once a week. He goes, every day. And I was like, dude, every day? That's like a lot of content. <laughs> and he goes, it'll help you hone your message. He's like, just Monday through Friday if you need to have some type of a guardrail. But Monday through Friday, every day. And that was the third week of January. And I've done it every single Monday through Friday since then. And it's become a discipline. It's become a discipline for me that I now enjoy. I look forward to saying like, what, what, what am I called to share with the world today? And it's something I get excited about, not something I dread. That's phenomenal. I love that you're doing that. And it also brings another point up, which is interesting, and that's accountability. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit off camera about accountability, but even, you know, someone like you, who are, you're, you, you're a speaker, you know, you do that for a living, but isn't it interesting and isn't it fine and okay that you also have a mentor, that you're also accountable to someone. And it's just instinctful, I think, within us to say, okay, you know, I'm doing this video for the right reasons, but I also have in the back of my mind, you know, my coach is, is watching too. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It's like positive peer pressure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, wonderful. Well, let's jump into some of your work and um, you're in such a, an amazing field of, of uh, helping people with mental health and well-being. Um, as an overarching theme, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, our current situation aside, what do you feel the state of our country's mental health and well-being is as a society? Mm. Well, I mean, for one, the, the generation, I generally don't like to compartmentalize things in generations, but I'm a member of the millennial generation and we've been labeled the anxious generation. And I, I think part of it is that it started to normalize, like speaking up about having challenges and needing help and seeking therapy and seeking medication, like that started to become more normal with my generation. So I don't think it's that the generations before didn't have these needs. I just think it wasn't socially acceptable for them to express them. And so when I think of what it is, even like, as we've chatted before, like what it is to be unmuted, it's to use your voice to speak up and to ask for the help that you need when you need it. And so right now, I mean, we have this, you know, a crisis of, of depression and anxiety and, you know, things like suicide increasing and people are in this, just like this state of, of, of fear and kind of always being on alert. And I think a lot of it really has been precipitated by this lack of social, meaningful social connectedness that um, I, I've, I've heard research recently to say that most adults have not um, made a new friend in the past five years wow that we kind of stay in the tribes that we're in right it's kind of like a little 
five-year-old on a soccer field where they just like kind of like a little beehive. They just like move around together in this clump. And a lot of times that can happen with, with adults too. And, and I think part of it is a fear of, it's like we want to be known, but we fear being known. Like our, one of our deepest desires and needs, I think as humans is wants to be known, to be seen, to be heard, to feel valued and accepted and loved hmm. it's a lot. But, I th- but all of us need those things. And I think when we have those needs met, we're more likely to be mentally healthy. And I think right now there's a lot of people that because there's a lot about them out in the world on social media, for instance, there's this false perception that people, people know things about them, but they don't necessarily know them. Mm. And so there's this sense of what I've, I've heard described as like a, a phonerability, like F-A-U-X, a phonerability mm. that, that we're presenting as like, I'm sharing things about myself. <laughs> right. But I'm not sharing the depth of my soul. Like, so who knows about the depth of your soul, right? Like who, who knows who you are behind the mask, behind the wall, behind the veil, armor off? Who knows that person? Because, right. because that's when we feel truly known because, I mean, I think about a couple of years ago, I had my own mental health um, crisis and I, I burned out and got mono Epstein-Barr virus. And I lost my voice and I was contagious, so I couldn't be around people. I had my own little mini version of being quarantined. And it was so difficult and I felt so sad and stuck and I I didn't have this energy that I could bring myself out of it. And, And what I learned through that process was that I had put my work so far ahead above everything else that I had neglected like the deep social relationships in my life, the things that had the potential to be those things in my life. And so a lot of times crisis is a catalyst for transformation and awakening. So that was my own little mini crisis. And I think what we're in right now is obviously it's a global pandemic crisis. And so it's causing people to wake up as well, which I think can be good to wake up and realize what about my life isn't working? What about my life do I want to change? You know, what about who I am as a person? Could I see getting better in some ways? Or, you know, am I not okay with? And, and then addressing those things and doing something about it and opening up. So, so I feel like we have a tremendous opportunity to take what's happening in the midst of all that's going on and even prior to this and use this as a catalyst for transformation and connection with people. Wow. I mean, that was so well said, Rachel, and you're just so good at this and I'm learning as you're speaking. So if I'm, you know, I know this is going to translate to others as well. Such an important topic, such an important episode for us. And, and, and obviously very, very timely for, for all of us who are going through this at the same time. Mm. So um, one question out of that I have is that, do you feel that people are going to struggle to get back to what was normal before going to restaurants, shaking hands. I mean, these are things I've been thinking about the last few days. Like, you know, are are we going to get back to where we were or Mm -hmm. do you think is it, is it going to take some time mentally for Mm -hmm. us to be able to get back to a place where we will reach out our hand or give a hug or a kiss? Like those are things that people crave as, as humans for connection. Mm 
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that in some situations it, it will, I think people are going to have this a little bit, they're going to feel torn. Um, I was watching a, 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 a video by Rick Hansen, who is a, who's been a teacher that I've learned from directly about, you know, positive neuroplasticity. And he was talking about how he was walking around his neighborhood just last night and he walked by a neighbor and he was like, at the same time, I had this tendency to be very friendly and to engage with them while at the same time feeling like I should pull back. So it's, I, I think a lot of people are in that mode right now. They're like, I want to, but I don't know if I should, because is this person okay with it? So I think there's going to be a lot of this accordion, accordion-like behavior that happens <laughs> yeah. where we're not quite sure. And there's going to be a new normal. Like, it's not going to go back to the way things were exactly. Um, I think some people are going to stay camped out in fear and paranoia, and it's going to be paralyzing, I think, for some people. But I think a lot of people are going to come out of this and want to be more connected than ever. I think they're going to be so starved for touch, so starved for eye contact, so starved for just being in the presence like, it's funny, we took for granted that we were in the presence of other people all the time and we're so distracted by our phones. And now we can't be in the presence of other people and we're like, oh my gosh, I just want to hug somebody. I just want to be with somebody. So I think it's going to, and then there's going to be some in between. That's kind of what I think. I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about, uh, I thought about it last week, I even put up a post, is that it's almost like, and, and I mentioned to you, David Nagel, my friend, David Nagel has a wonderful podcast. Um, you know, he, he was talking about every 20 years, it seems, you know, if you look back in time, something of major significance has yeah. happened. Uh, going back to like, I think he went all the way back to like World War One, yeah. you know, and the depression, and then World War Two, and then, you know, um, the, the um, Korean War and, and, and Vietnam, I mean, there were the, the wars and, 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 other pandemics and whatnot, 9-11. But, you know, coming out of this, you know, do you think that when it comes to self-care and when you look at a a massive change like this, uh, where do we start? You know, does it start within, I guess, and then so for the average person, like you have a family, you know, you have a spouse, kids for self-care. Does it start here first? You have to men- get mentally okay with yourself first is, or is it okay not to really know the answers? Because I just feel like there's so many questions right now from a lot of people, including myself. I'm, you know, how are we going to get out of this? Well, I think part of it from like a, a, a self-care perspective, I think one of the most important things right now, and this is a very practical thing. I think people right now are like, give me something practical. <laughs> Don't yeah. give me theory. Uh, and I, I think one of the things that's being particularly compromised right now that is really important for our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health, our performance at work is sleep. Hmm. And I had to learn the hard way when I burned out. Um, I actually get about an hour more per sleep hour more of sleep per night than I did three years ago on average. Wow. So I'm like a super sleeper. I mean, I will, I will get on average probably about eight and a half hours of sleep a night. And I learned that that was my, a lack of sleep was my kryptonite. Mm. So a lot of people right now are trying to hold on to, and not even just right now, but in general, what can I control? What can I control? What can I control? 
And when it comes to your immune system, for instance, and again, your emotional responsiveness, when you are sleep deprived, your immune system becomes more susceptible to risk and to getting sick, to having viruses kind of take up residence. And when we are sleep deprived, we are actually less effective and accurate at reading people's facial expressions. And we are more reactive and impulsive. Interesting. And the reason for that is our brain like that is connected to that fear response, like that reptilian brain gets activated and is on high alert when we're in a state of sleep deprivation. So right now, a lot of people are like binging Netflix, right? Where it's like 15 episodes of whatever. And then before you know it, it's one o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh, I should go to bed. One of the best things that people can do for their health and well-being from a self-care perspective is go to sleep. Like get in bed when you start to feel something come on, like you start to feel tired, it might be nine o'clock, start the routine to go to bed because that's one of the best things you can do for yourself. And because of how it affects our, our relations and interactions with other people, it's one of the best things we can do for our relationships um, is, is to get adequate sleep. So I can give you some tips for that. Please. If you'd like uh, yes. sleep, sleep tips. I've had to learn, like I said. Um, one is getting blue blocker glasses. So they're super cheap on Amazon, right? 20, 25 bucks for a pair of glasses. And they have a filter lens in them that, that blocks the blue light. And since so many of us are staring at screens all day, what happens is that when we're exposed to blue light, it tells our brain to shut down melatonin production, which is what tells us to go to sleep. So when we're staring at a screen, our brain is like, oh, it's daylight. It's daytime. It might be 11 o'clock at night, but the brain's like, oh, it's daytime. We're good. We're up. We're awake. And so then finally we log off at 1130. We close our laptop and we think we're going to go to bed. And then your mind is racing and spinning and spinning. So getting those glasses and putting them on right when, um, right when it starts to kind of get, when it starts to become like dusk or even like late afternoon, I had a coworker who would start put them on at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, it also reduces eye strain and the likelihood of getting migraines. So that's a really practical one. Um, and then another one I would say is to, we've heard about the importance of gratitude before, but it has a particular connection to, to sleep. So when your monkey mind is going, which I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that that are listening to this, that like can't shut down, can't That shut was down. my next question. So I'm glad you're <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you shut down the monkey right. mind? So there's, there's two things that we can do to get that thing to chill out. So one of them is to jot down, to have a journal next to your bed, like not the notes in your phone, journal with a pen and paper and jot down specific things that either good things that happened that day was one way to think of it or things that you're grateful for specifically. Um, and I remember I did that one time when I was having trouble sleeping after I had done a workshop that day telling other people to do that. <laughs> and I was like, Rachel, what did you just tell them to do? You should do it. And so I got down to about nine things before I could like start to feel a shift in my body because gratitude is the antidote to fear and anxiety. Wow. You can't simultaneously feel freaking out and be present to what you're grateful for at the same time. Yeah. Wow. Great tips. And same thing. What about coming out of sleep? Um, Mm -hmm. One of the practices I like to do before I get out of bed is, is gratitude again. 
Mm-hmm. And is that something you encourage as well? Yeah, first thing in the morning, because what happens is our, I've heard it phrased, I think maybe Simon Sinek might have said it, I forget who did, but we are often allowing other people's thoughts to be the first thoughts of our day instead of our own. Because we look at our phone immediately. Yeah. We get up, it's right next to our bed. First of all, I'd encourage people not to have your phone next to your head. Ours is across the room, plugged in, so I can't even access it. Because if it's 2 a.m. and you wake up, you're going to flip it over and look at it, and then it's going to wake you up. So don't do that. Um, so having that practice, anytime you have a discipline, you're kind of mentioning before the importance of that, that discipline, that practice, that thing that, that gets your day started in a positive way. Anything that you do in that regard is going to help. Some people might do journaling, meditation. Um, they might do some type of prayer or devotional just something to get that intentional thought to start the day. So you're less reactive. I think I would totally agree with what you're saying. Yes. Awesome. So I know one of the things you like to talk about is giving people uh, permission to stop silencing themselves. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so it, it comes in a couple different forms. There's a, a professor named Dana Jack who first coined this term self-silencing. And it's something that we tend to do emotionally and it's particularly prevalent in romantic relationships. And so what we tend to do is we tend to not speak up or speak out. Um, we don't express our needs. We don't express our concerns. We don't express our thoughts or feelings because we're afraid we're gonna be perceived as too much or perceived as not enough. This is particularly true of women. And then oftentimes what causes, what can cause men to self-silence is this sense of appearing weak or inadequate or not being, not having, maintaining that power, being in control. So self-silencing can have a ripple effect since we you know, started talking about mental health. It can lead to depression, can lead to loneliness, it can lead to marital problems, it can lead to low self-esteem, um, eating disorders. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome, heart disease. Like it affects us not just emotionally, but it affects us. It can literally affect us physically as well. So, so part of that self-silencing is to really ask yourself a couple of things. What in my body am I not giving voice to? So is there a source of pain, a source of recurring pain that you have that you've just chosen to ignore or numb in some other way instead of dealing with it? So I'll give you an example of that. Um, I had acid reflux for a decade, starting in my late teens. Wow. And I took medicine for it every day. And I look back at that time and recognize that part of that was not just that I had this fire inside physically. I had a fire inside of myself emotionally and spiritually that I had things to share to get out that I was not giving voice to, whether it was through singing or writing or speaking and it was around the time that I started speaking that I found out some other health issues that were, you know, causing the reflux to happen that I was able to, to heal it. And so I've seven years, haven't had any issues with that. So that was an example of me listening to my body or with mono, recognizing you need more sleep. Your body doesn't feel rested enough the way you're currently doing it. You need more sleep to recover. So I'd say part of it, the self-silencing is paying attention most of us, I would imagine you've had a similar situation. You had something in your body sure. that's been like the signal going off that yeah. you're like, I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> you're like, I'm too busy. I got stuff to do. That's inconvenient. Um, 
So I'd say listen to it while it's whispering before it yells at you because I've ignored the whispers and then it's gotten pretty loud. I'd say the other self-silencing piece um, comes in terms of expressing your feelings. So a lot of us are afraid, particularly if we're in the mode of, of, of being high achieving or being someone that is, is the one that other people go to for stuff. That we feel like our needs don't matter. And so we don't speak up about them. We can become resentful about that. And it's very important for people, whether it's through a therapist or whether it's talking to a significant other or um, a friend or some type of spiritual leader, that we, all of us need outlets to express our feelings and our fears and our thoughts about things. And some people come from a place where maybe growing up, no one, they didn't feel like anyone listened to them. They were hushed a lot. No one ever asked them what they thought or what they felt. And so they become an adult and they make the assumption that that's how life is. And so they don't express themselves and they internalize all of it. And that's not healthy because it's gonna show up somehow eventually. So I would encourage people that if, if they're hearing this conversation that we're having and they're thinking about something that they're holding back on, and I'm not saying come out and just be brazen and obnoxious and aggressive, that is not the opposite of self-silencing, right? Like that's, that's not thoughtful or kind necessarily. But I think it is important for everyone to recognize that they have permission right now. They don't need us to give them permission. But as a human being, they have permission to be heard. And that when they give themselves that permission to use their voice, it's very empowering. It's, it's scary at first if they're not used to doing it. It's like, what's going to happen? What are people going to think of me? What are, now they know I'm exposed. Like, I don't have it all together. I asked for help. Am, am I going to miss the promotion? Are people going to think I'm a good leader anymore? Like, what, what are they going to think? Of? We're so concerned. And you know what? Most people are so consumed with their own selves. They're probably not thinking of you that much. <laughs> that's the reality of it, right? Yeah. Like, they're not. My dad has, has been one of the people that's reminded me of that. Like, Rachel, they're just not thinking about you that much. You just got to, like, stop that. Um, so, yeah, and I'd say right now, having using your voice to reach out. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people I've emailed in my community and network that I've gotten really vulnerable with and said, I'm a speaker. All of my, all of my work comes through in-person events. Those are obviously not happening right now. Here's what I'm doing. Do you know anyone can help? Awesome. Like awesome. we've got to put that ego aside. The ego, the ego says no help, no help. Figure it out yourself. Don't do that. My ego can be so loud. <laughs> so for me right now to be like, no, you're in a safe space. Like you create goodness in the world and goodness will come back to you, Rachel. So important. So important. Uh, and I'm so glad you talked about that because it is one of the things I think most of us have trouble with and that's asking for help when we need it, yes. whether it's anything. And it could be as simple as within our own household, right? Yes. We're afraid to ask for help. And you have to put the ego aside. I had a hard time with that most of my life. And I'm 50. I'm a lot older than you. But I'll tell you what, once you start doing it, and I'm sure you could attest to this, <laughs> it not that it becomes easy, 
But once you lower that ego and, and you do it once and you do it again and you see results and you see that people want to help, naturally they want yes. to help. We are helpful beings. And there's nothing more than I love to help people. And, and, and now that I'm not afraid to ask for help, I could see that people appreciate that I even ask them. Yes, it's They're a gift. Thanking me. <laughs> it's, it's a gift if, if you're giving gift. people the opportunity to help you in a way that they, with something that they have already have in them. They're like, I've got a gift I'm carrying around. Nobody wants it. I got a gift. It's like, we're all carrying around gifts that people want that we're afraid to give. And I mean, again, got to stop doing that. Like, and we've got to be willing. I remember just about an hour ago, my husband came up and we were, he's a teacher. So he's off like indefinitely. Um, and we were chatting and I said, I've really got to focus on what I'm doing this afternoon. And I just need you to sit with me and I need you to walk through it. And we need to, and I want to get this done before dinner time. And I just need you to be there and just like be with me in it because I'm an external processor. And this is hard for me right now to not be able to externally process. And I just need you to be in it with me. Wow. You got to ask for it. That's like the worst they'll say is no. And if they live with you and have nowhere to go right now, it's probably not likely. Um, <laughs> like, you know, and the other thing too, um, there's a really great book that I'd recommend if people are, are struggling at all in their, in their intimate relationships. Um, it's called making marriage simple. Okay. So there's two books. One's making marriage simple by um, Harville Hendricks and his wife, Helen LaKelly Hunt. And another one is the seven principles for making marriage work by John and Julie Gottman. So we've gone through, my husband and I struggled with communication for uh, seven years, for seven years of our relationship. Uh, and then we decided to get some help and we went through some marriage retreats and, and trainings and, and, and coaching. And now we help to teach couples connection and communication workshops. Um, and to see him get unmuted because I realized what I had to do, was sometimes I had to just back off and give him space. And then if I backed off and gave him space, then he felt he had the freedom to open up. And, and he needed to know that in order for me to feel safe, so that's how I made him feel safe, was like, I'm, I'm, I'm laying off your back, right? I'm not going to pounce on you. And then he knew that what made me feel safe is when he would like come to me and be like, what do you need? What can I do? Or like today when he said, happy to do that after your conversation. Or what can I make dinner? Can I do the laundry? Like, and he doesn't even ask, he just does it. Yeah. So I, I think, to your point, once you start doing it, you get more comfortable with it. And then you're less apologetic. Like stop apologizing for having needs. Like all the time, I say every day, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to bother. It's not a bother. What do you need? If I can help you, I will. If I can, I'll find somebody who can. Love it. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Love it, love it. So before I forget, I, I did want to touch on LinkedIn for a moment because yep. you, you did talk about connection earlier and the importance of connection. You talked about sending out emails to, to your network, which is wonderful, asking for help. Um, but this world of LinkedIn that mm. we've been living in now and, and experiencing its explosion, you know, over the last couple of years, and I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg here. Um, what do you recommend people do to start to connect with people so they get to know the person like we're doing, you know, mm -hmm. behind that avatar picture that they see on, on the profile? Well, one of the things I love that's an underutilized feature on LinkedIn is there's a, under messaging, there's like that, that audio message you can send people. So it's limited to 60 seconds currently, but I find that just hearing somebody's voice, 
like there's a guy whose stuff I've been following and he posted something yesterday and I was like, I'm just going to send him a message and, and see, see what he says. Send him a post I did about like singing this little light of mine. And he wrote, he sent me a message back and he was like trying to balance his child and like talk to his wife at the same time. And he's like, all right, by the end of it, he's like, I gotta go. <laughs> but it was, it was so human, yes. like to hear someone's voice is so powerful. So I would encourage people, you know, to do those kind of voice messages, even just to check in on somebody to say, Hey, like I did that with people who comment on my stuff a lot. I'll leave them a message, like an audio message and say, Hey, thanks. I really appreciate you engaging with like every single thing I put up on here and I wanted to let you know, and then they'll write, they'll message me back. And so I think again, that genuine piece is very important. Like if, if I connect with somebody, I always do the, not always, I'd say 90% of the time I do the add note option, like add a note so I can say, why am I connecting with you? Who am I? I'm not an avatar. Who's the person behind the profile, right? Um, and so I do that intentionally. And then I always respond to the best, probably 95% of the time, I respond to people's comments directly. So important. Because it's like they took the time to watch a 90-second video I put up, and they shared what they thought about it, which they did not have to do. And the least I can do, and it might take more of my time, and sometimes people are like, are you on LinkedIn all the time? And I'm like, I'm on there quite a bit. But... Um, <laughs> I think it's important to honor that. If someone's going to leave a comment, you see threads and threads and threads where just nobody says anything back. And for me, part of what I care about is making people feel seen and heard and valued. And so I try to write back more than thank you. Like what would, what would be a thoughtful and who knows how long I'll be able to sustain that. Like assuming, you know, things continue to grow and all of that, but to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to be like a real person with, with people on there. Right. No, that's a good point too, because you know, you're young, you will grow over, over time and hopefully it gets to a point where you actually do have to have a team. Yeah. But what's great about that is you train your team yeah. to respond as you would. And now you're teaching that person the right thing to do and they could pass that information on and you're employing someone. And you know, I, I think the growth of a personal brand, is just as important as growing any business. Yes. If not more, because that is you behind there, even if, if you do have help. And I, I know several people in the same boat as, as you and I, but you know, they, they now have much larger, larger audiences, but they started, you know, mm -hmm. just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. But they, they've empowered others to get, employ them and and follow their same, you know, goals and procedures and and really the, the humanity behind those messages, it's so important to, to respond to people. Yes. I'm so and, glad to hear that you do that as well. Well, and just sharing again, like we kind of, we, I feel like looping back to the beginning of the conversation of, of sharing genuine content, like what is on your heart to share? Like not, like what would be something cool that I could say? Like what's gonna get the most views? Like I don't ever think that when I post stuff. Right. <laughs> like, it's incidental to me. I'm like, oh wow, I'm surprised that and that people thought that was as interesting as they do. <laughs> like, you know, so so I think part of it too is to to go in with realistic expectations, to keep showing up consistently, and to be genuine in your interactions with people, um, and to not give them a hard time. I've had people that like I haven't responded to their message. They've been like, uh, hi, I've tried to get a hold of you, and they've just been like rude about it. And I'm like, that's not necessary. You don't know what's going on in my life. Like, first of all, and I don't know you, so I don't really owe you anything. <laughs> like, right. 
No, it's a good point. What do you do in that case? Because I've I've had I've had people do some similar things, and you know they'll reach out, and and if I don't get right back to them, they'll they'll respond with a question mark, you know, and then maybe again, you know, do you just ignore it, or or do you actually respond? Um, I most of the time I ignore it because I'm like, this is not, if someone's going to act like that, this is not somebody that I really want to have a conversation with. Um, in one particular situation, somebody was insistent and I felt like in my gut that I was supposed to talk to them. They had heard me speak somewhere and they reached out because they were in a difficult situation and, and they just wanted to have a conversation with me. And so I, I, I reached back out after they were insistent. They're like, oh, I guess, I guess you're too busy. Something like, I guess you're too busy to respond to me or something. And I was like, uh, like you're making me not want to talk to you, but I did reach out and I, I gave him very candid feedback in the conversation. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the reasons I wasn't super quick to reply is because I felt guilt tripped by your comment and I don't respond very well when someone's manipulating me. So heads up, you might want to avoid doing that in the future. Excellent. I was honest. I mean, that's great. And I think it, that's the best thing you could do for people is be honest because maybe they'll think twice next time. Yeah. So, and some of my, I just don't, I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like I, like I, I got too much good to do in the world. I do not have time to deal with someone who's badgering me that I don't even know who's being obnoxious. Like, yeah. <laughs> so Rachel, let's talk about your interactive virtual training series that you launched. Uh, I know there's three parts to it. Uh, mindset mm-hmm. reset, prioritizing self-care and optimizing social connection. A lot of the things we talked about today, Mm-hmm. Can you give us some insight as to what this is all about? If people are interested in this, mm-hmm. how do they get in touch with you? Um, I'm, I'm anxious to learn more about it. Yeah. So for me, I can, you know, this is an opportunity, this is a time of opportunity, right? Crisis also presents opportunities. And so part of it, it was like, well, you know what, I'm going to pivot and go online with my content. And so the goal of it is to give people a sense of, of hope and encouragement and practical skills and tools, because I think a lot of people, not before this all happened, in general, don't feel equipped with the right tools in order to, if they are going into a state of fear or anxiety, how to bring themselves back. Um, And so the mindset reset piece of that is really helping people connect with their inner uh, character strengths and draw on those. Those are sources of resilience. Those are sources of life. Those are natural places that you draw energy and ideas from. So connecting people to those things, giving them tools. Um, I really love some of the tools that, again, Rick Hansen has, has put out in terms of rewiring the brain to recognize, okay, what can we do to, um, he calls it petting the lizard. So the reptilian part of the brain, it really needs safety. And so we're going to be talking about what can we do to create a sense of safety so that we can come off of that high alert and ground ourselves again. So giving people some practical exercises for what they can do for that. Um, you know, putting them in breakout discussions so they can talk to each other. And so virtual doesn't feel so virtual. Um, and then the, the second part of it is really looking at self-care. So what are some of the routines we can put in place that are not only going to help us be more resilient, but help us be more effective in our relationships because we're better rested. We're not dealing with like blood sugar, roller coaster, um, we're tending to ourselves. It's like we're refilling our own tank, you know, putting on our mask first, that kind of thing that we're attentive to that unmuting the body. What does the body need to be well right now? And how can we move from that mode where we just feel like we're surviving and running on autopilot to a mode where we can actually thrive and we have systems in place to help us sustain through the midst of stress. 
Like I've been stressed in the midst of this, but I've stayed healthy. I'm still getting sleep. I'm still tending to my physical being in the midst of this. And it's really helping me through this time. And then the third part of that is the social connectedness piece. So um, there's an author, Sean Aker, who's written a bunch of great books. And one of the things that he cited in one of his books was that people who increase their social investments in the midst of stressful situations are more likely to thrive. Hmm. So um, one of the things we're going to be looking at there is, okay, how do we leverage technology, which a lot of people are doing right now? How do we leverage technology to foster meaningful connection? And then what are specific things we can do with the people that we see that we do have that physical contact with? Um, and, and I'll give you one of, those, one of those tidbits as a tip for folks. One of those is that um, when you are in the midst of all that's going on in your life at any given time, you can increase your sense of trust and closeness by hugging someone for 20 seconds. So oxytocin release happens at the 20 second mark of a hug. And most of us hug for like two sides, like pat on the back, step away, right? So that 20 second hug is where the oxytocin release happens. And they recommend, especially if we're in a state of quarantine or crisis, do that every two hours with someone that you live with. So it's like healthy, positive, physical touch. That that connects us. I'd interrupt, but I'm also thinking it's probably good if people have children, especially teenagers, that that would be really important right now. It's something I didn't think about. So, so when we're done, I'm going to go hug both of my kids. They're yeah. probably like, Dad, what? what <laughs> <laughs> it's well, my husband and I, we had to do a version of this when we went through the marriage um, retreat that we did seven years ago. And we had to hug um, for a minute. You hold each other for a It is a long minute, let me tell you. But what it does is your breathing starts to synchronize hmm. and you start to kind of like calm down together. And there's this almost like collapsing again, assuming it's a safe relationship. Like that's, that's the disclaimer here. Right. Assuming it's a safe relationship um, that there's this almost like softening into the other person that happens that creates this intimacy, this connection, this closeness and oxytocin. Again, it's a hormone. It doesn't just promote closeness, but oxytocin release increases our feelings of trust toward other people, which coming out of this, we're going to need all the help we can get for ways that we can like reestablish trust with people. And, and so one of the ways to do that is, is through that physical touch. Fantastic. Well, it sounds wonderful. If people are interested, what's the best way to learn more or reach out to you about this? Well, I'd say either going to on, on LinkedIn at Rachel Druckenmiller, um, they can message me or I, on my website, it's unmutedlife.com and then it's uh, forward slash COVID-19. So I just put a landing page on there with kind of all the basic information. Fantastic. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well to make it easy okay. for people to click on that. Thanks. So look, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm, I'm so glad we connected. Uh, again, this is a real life example of, you know, we did not know each other. We connected on LinkedIn, uh, invited you onto the show. We had a great conversation. We're going to help others. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do this again in the future. And uh, I'm so grateful and, and honored that you came on the show today. Um, one last question before I let you go. Yeah. And I ask every guest this just because I, I, okay. I, I love to know about what people, the, the mark you want to leave here. You have a ton mm -hmm. of life to live. But at the end of the day, as of right now, at mm -hmm. your young age, what, what are you trying to set up? What do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. I want my legacy to be that I 
help people find the courage within themselves to use their voice for good. Wow. So well said. That's yeah. awesome. Rachel Druckenmiller, thank you so much. Welcome to the American Real family. And I hope to have you back real soon. Thank you so much. So wonderful to be here. I love the conversation. Thank you.